because the one thing he always did want was definitive scarring and he wanted it quite straight, but it had to be purposeful. We did then find out he didn't want it to let anything resemble an accident, but there was no real backstory. Welcome everyone to the next episode of We Need to Talk About Oscar. Today I'm joined by Josh Weston, the prosthetic supervisor of Poor Things. Hi Josh, how are you doing? Hi, hi, yes, good, thanks. Very well, very well. How are you? I'm doing great too, thank you for asking. First of all, let me congratulate you because you recently got nominated for a BAFTA and an Oscar as well. How are you feeling? Yeah, exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Very surreal. Just came back from the uh, Oscar luncheon, nominees luncheon, which was great. Um, lots of stars, lots of schmoozing, not the sort of thing I usually do. So, um, yeah, it was good. It was an eye opener to the um, kind of celebrity world. But uh, mm-hmm. it, it was nice. It was nice. Uh, it was very fleeting, very quick. But uh, yeah, it was good. And we have the BAFTA ceremony this Sunday, and we have the BAFTA party uh, this evening. So yeah, it's a busy weekend. Great. I wanted to ask you about your background and how you became a makeup artist in the film industry. Uh, Well, I started very young when I was, I I knew I wanted to do when I was about 11 years old, really, just watching films I probably shouldn't have been watching uh, and then trying to find out a bit more about them. And I kind of knew that there was uh, someone behind the camera who was doing all the makeup and that obviously there was a job there. And I I stumbled across a store that used to sell a magazine, always still around actually, called Fangoria and Gorezone. And all those kind of publications, and I kind of got into it like that. And then just started making stuff in my own bedroom, just sticking nose putty on my face and painting myself up and taking photographs, collecting like a, a portfolio of really bad makeups that I did on myself, sending them around, getting feedback, being told the best thing to do is to try and to go on a sculpting course and learn to sculpt. So I did that. Uh, and it just kind of snowballed, really. I got a job at a company called Creature Effects, uh, Pinewood Studios with Dave Elsie and Cliff Wallace. Worked there for a number of years on and off uh, and kind of got a foot in, really, with that. And then on to image animation. And then it just kind of snowballed, as I say, from there. I mean, the work at the very beginning was very few and far between. But uh, the in-between times, uh, it, it would just be me sculpting and practicing. So... Yeah, and uh, and sending work around to studios. And that's kind of the way I did it. Um, That was before internet. So these days, it's, yeah, it's really easy. You just type in who the person you want to speak to, and then there it is, comes up. But yeah, so uh, that's about it, a long and short of it. So you always wanted to be in the film industry? Always, yeah. I can't ever think of anything other than that, really. I mean, when I was really young, I used to like writing stories as well. And I thought, oh, maybe this a writer. And they're always horror stories because my mum used to kind of read me Bram Stoker's Dracula quite a lot 
I was young, so I got kind of like fascinated by the uh, gothicy type of uh, things. So um, yeah, I used to write little short stories, but that that, that kind of faded away. I wasn't very good at it, and uh, pursued. Um, sculpting and, and makeup it, it, at the beginning it was all makeup it was all trying to change my own face like a you know like a long chainy type person so yeah that was about it looking through your filmography there are so many interesting titles there hmm. you worked on suspiria the fantastic beasts film elvis last night in soho um and the list goes on really Do you get approached with these jobs and then you get to choose or, or how does this work for you? Well, I'm a freelancer foremost. Uh, I do do design my own stuff, but for a lot of the time I'm working freelancing around for other effects companies. So those films you just mentioned uh, last night in Soho was with uh, BGFX and I was approached by them to uh, come on board and apply some makeups and Suspiria and Fantastic Beasts. Uh, that was Mark Coulier, Coulier Creatures. And that's kind of where I usually work most of the time. Mark was the prosthetic supervisor on Poor Things and uh, yeah we all got together for that but uh, with mark i've been with mark on and off since about 2012 but yeah as you say yeah i, I get a phone call uh usually and uh asked uh of my availability and then um i i can if i, if I can do it i'll do it if i can't i'm, I'm busy at marks or, or, or with something of my own project but yeah it's kind of how it's been working for me so it was mark who also got you attached to poor things Well, no, actually, Nardi Stacy, the makeup designer, got me first attached to Poor Things. Uh, she approached me when we were working on a film called Mothering Sunday, which I did for her. And she spoke about it very loosely. And it was, I didn't really know the story. I knew there was, we were just talking about one character, the Baxter character. But then it kind of transpired that the film was getting bigger and bigger and the content was getting bigger and bigger. And I don't have a big workshop facility. So I suggested we, um, Nadi was going to contact Mark anyway to take the project on. And then I went and worked for Mark on that. But I got to do the lead makeup and be the uh, on-set prosthetic supervisor and I co-designed it with Mark and Nadia. I sculpted it. So yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like bounced from Nadia, then back to Mark because we've all worked together before. So it it kind of made sense. I actually wanted to ask you about if you can provide an overview of your role as a prosthetic supervisor on this film. So it was mostly uh, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, we're just taking care of what Nadia really wanted in terms of all the other little makeups, because other than the Baxter makeup, we've had the head scar that's on Alfie that you may have seen. And we had two versions of that sculpted that were sent over and just trying to organize makeup tests and getting a, an approved look from Nadia and from Yorgos and then providing Nadia with some more cesarean section scars and some other little scars for the ladies and a, a scar for Emma Stone. But that's really just, just organizing things and just trying to see what works best, really. And, and then it's just taking on the day-to-day -day application with Willem's makeup, which was applied with myself and Robin Pritchard. 
Yeah, so Dave basically just dealing with the onset questions from the, the first AD and and just dealing with things that we uh, that would just crop up because we have parts of the film obviously are black and white, parts of colour, parts of sort of technicolour. So little tweaks here and there with coloration, but generally, you know, once that makeup was stuck on it it, it kind of held up and you know, you could shoot black and white and you could shoot colour and you didn't have to have a massive alteration in the general look. But yeah, as a supervisor, it's just making sure everything kind of comes together, really. And how do you start on such a project? I mean, with the designing oh, and stuff. Well, yeah, yeah designing it, it, it all starts with the life cast of the, your actor, which we didn't have at first. So I sculpted a portrait of Willem, like a third scale, three quarter scale portrait. And uh, from that, I sculpted a, probably about 10 versions of the makeup, the Baxter makeup. And then when we finally got the life cast of uh, Willem, because Willem lives in Italy, so he wasn't that accessible and it was COVID and it was difficult for everyone. So yeah, we got the life cast and then I just sculpted more. Uh, and it was just a process of just keep sculpting, sculpting. And then I'd, we'd take those images, photograph them, uh, and Mark would send them to his digital guys that he had working on the project and they would colorize what i'd sculpted and put clothing on it and hair and make it like a final image and then they would do their own independent designs as well uh, but generally for me it was just sculpting as many variations as possible trying to get as much feedback as we can finding out which areas Yorgos liked and Nadia liked, and then going back looking at various different versions of the sculpt and making let's say taking five five different sculptures and trying to create a new one from that so you're taking little elements from here from here and here and then you create a new design and we did that collaborated on that quite a bit until we kind of came up with what you see on the screen really but yeah lots of sculpting lots of sculpting and it i think the project we had about 12 weeks until from start until we were on set so it seems like a lot of time, but when you've got to design something that's never been really seen before, and then you have to take in all the other elements because it's not just me involved. It's so uh, you've got mold makers, you've got the art finishers, got hair punches, you've got a big team of people behind it all that kind of makes this whole thing work. And then I, I go on set with the pieces and stick them on with myself and Robin, as I said. Um, so yeah. It's a it's a big process, but it's a good 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 fun fun process. Mm -hmm. Did Yorgos have some sort of concept originally on on how the character should look like? No, he had no concepts whatsoever. We provided all the concept. The only idea was a Francis Bacon esque type painting you know you, you you know the typical francis bacon paintings you, the faces are all mismatched and very very odd looking he wanted what well, something like that but obviously with a prosthetic you can't really do that you can take it to a limit to a certain point and then it becomes not believable really but what they really wanted and what they took from the Francis Bacon sort of look was they wanted, the, you always wanted the ear. You wanted the ear really pushed out from the side of the head. You wanted it even more than what we have, but we had to tone it back a bit. So, um, yeah, you always, I would definitely say he definitely wanted more volume. 
So we tried to provide that and uh, we had a makeup test. We applied everything, but he still wanted more volume out of the chin. So we couldn't remake anything. There wasn't enough time. So it was Mark, my uh, the, the prosthetic supervisor. He he decided it would be the only real way around it was to make some plumpers and plumpers are just shapes that you stick on the face first before you stick the final piece on and because you've stuck these shapes on and then you put the other piece on top of that it creates a new kind of shape it essentially gave us a bit more volume uh, which is what he wanted and that got approved and we went basically we have green light from then on in and apart from that painting did you have any other references or inspirations that you could use or was it all just your creativity originally we were the images we were looking at were actually not the right ones we were looking at a lot of world war one um i don't know if you've ever heard of the guinea pig club which is the pioneering plastic surgeons of world war one it's the unfortunate servicemen that came back from war with their faces just blasted from shrapnel wounds or gunshot wounds and they were all then refixed with plastic surgery new techniques of plastic surgery so we looked at things like that because the one thing you always did want was definitive scarring and he wanted it quite straight but it had to be purposeful we did then find out he didn't want it to look anything resembled an accident, but there was no real backstory. We knew that his father had performed these operations for whatever reason uh, to achieve whatever, but we didn't really know. And I don't think it really mattered. But in the end, it just came down to having a, a nice patination of scarring on the face to make it look interesting. And yeah, just for the viewer to kind of try and figure out what was going on. But not even we we don't even know that. I guess in this case, realism wasn't much of a requirement. Well, no, I mean, it, and definitely not logic as well. No logic to it. I mean, it, yeah, realism. It's I mean, it, it's big. It's volume. It's got it stands out quite a lot in the film. But it's actually you've got a lot of Willem there. So yeah, you're just trying to pull back to reality a little bit and have the pieces finish in a area that Willem's own anatomy can take over. And, and it makes it more believable then. But in the end, the texture in the final result looks extremely realistic. Um, what kind of materials do you use for such prosthetic? I sculpt everything in oil-based clay. It's called plastiline. It's non-drying clay. And it just, it's really relatively hard and it gives you the ability to get quite a lot of detail in the actual final piece. So I spend a lot of time with texturing. Um, it takes a long time, pore by pore, really. Um, it's all just tooled and textured by hand. It takes a bit of practice, but uh, it, it, it is a technique and it can be taught. The more difficult thing is sculpting form and generally making something look a, unbelievable um and were there any visual effects in the film in in Willem's face or was it all just the actual like all in camera makeup yeah yeah no 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 visual uh effects enhancements at all yeah the only vfx stuff is obviously the, the strange animals you see roaming around the house which is amazing 
all that stuff's fantastic. Obviously, there's loads of visual effects. There's tons of visual effects and for the whole thing. But um, yeah, for Willem, I think we uh, yeah we got away with not having any VFX kind of additions. So we didn't have any areas that were painted blue and then the computer guys took over or anything like that. It was all in, in kind of a, just a, a, a standard prosthetic makeup about I think it was down to five pieces in the end, all glued on. Um, yeah, with uh, with no enhancement. And and how long did it take to apply this? The makeup took two hours forty five minutes for us to glue it on. Maybe a little less in uh, when we were getting quicker. Um, then he goes straight to hair. He has half an hour or so with hair. And then he goes straight to costume and he has a certain amount of time with costume. I'm not too sure. Could be half hour, could be 45 minutes. And then he'll come back to us for final checks, usually five minutes. And then he's ready for set. So like there was a story reported a while back that it was six hours uh, in makeup, which is just a complete fabrication. He may have been six hours from the moment he was picked up at his hotel to the moment gone on set. I can well believe that. But for us to stick the makeup on, and as you've probably seen the um, time lapse of the makeup, it's not six hours. Uh, it's it, actually that makeup... I was told by Searchlight clocked in at two hours. So it may, I don't think it was that quick, but um, we averaged, I reckon, around two and a half, 245. Mm-hmm. And you had to reapply this every day? You had every single day. Every single day. Each piece gets thrown away in the bin because it can't survive the remover. It's just, it breaks down the material and it just becomes a big sludgy ball of mess when you take it off. So that goes straight into the bin. And then, yeah, we have a fresh set each day. And we applied that makeup 21 days, 21 shooting days, and a a few tests as well on top of that. So, yeah, just under 25 times probably we had Willem in the makeup. uh, And he was lovely. He was really, really professional and just let us get on with it, really. Yeah, he's, he's a lovely chap to work with. And the only way to shorten this process was i guess just the routine right yeah yeah you can't really you know it gets to a point you can't really shorten it anymore you can you do pick up the pace you know you can start a makeup on day one at say three hours and then by day five you've got it down to a you know to to two easily you can you figure out ways of cutting corners and just making the process run smoother really should i say Mm-hmm. I'm actually based in Budapest, Hungary, uh, mm-hmm. and I know that majority of the film was shot here. Did you also travel with the crew here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hungary's lovely. I, I, that's my second time shooting over there. I did the Nutcracker years before. Uh, yeah, Hungary's lovely, beautiful city. So um, yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was a really good location. So, and all the Hungarian crew are fantastic. And uh, all the sets were made, uh, the Hungarian sets were fantastic as well. Yeah, it was really good. It's really impressive. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, my next question was going to be if you could bring your own team or was it just Hungarian professionals that you hired here? Or Well, no, we, well, it was myself and, as I say, Robin Richard doing um, Willem. Uh, and that was us throughout. 
And then Mark, uh, the prosthetic supervisor, and Paul Jones, who's the workshop supervisor, they came over to do all the body wrangling and the uh, pregnant belly on Emma Stone. And then the we had the operation scene with Emma Stone with the brain removal, which is, again, that's a big VFX thing. But uh, yeah, I sculpted the back of a head cranium for Emma Stone and then the brain, and then that was rigged up. And then Mark and, and Paul dealt with that on set. But generally, I think most of Nadia's makeup crew for the crowd were all Hungarian, and she brought over her core team, which is what we usually always do anyway. You'd have a core team, and then you'd you'd hire out uh, locals. I believe the next time we can see your work will be in the new Bob Marley biopic. One, yeah, is that yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He's got a nose. Yeah, he's wearing a nose throughout the whole film. It's from up the top. Mm -hmm. All the way, all the way down. And I don't think anyone's noticed it yet. So, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask if, uh, are there any prosthetics in that film? It's just, yeah, just his nose. It's just his nose. It's King Kingsley from the profiles, his nose really sweeped, sweeped up. And it was just didn't resemble Bob Marley. Although, you know, Kingsley has different, a different look, we still wanted to try and create something that was a little similar in the profile but other than that there's not much else you can really do it's you've got a it's it's performance led um and as a last question i wanted to ask whether you already have some new projects for the future inside well we're going to be uh, again i'll be working with mark we're going to be doing the next season of the witcher so that's coming up but other than that, um, we are working on another project. I'm not sure if I can mention it really at the moment. It might be a bit secret. I might yeah. get in trouble. So I can mention The Witcher because mm -hmm. I know that's happening. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be doing that, um, which will be fun because they're a great team of people, good crowd. Well, thank you, Josh, for talking to us. No, you're more than welcome. More than welcome. I think you truly did an amazing work on poor things. It was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks very much. Well, nice to talk to you. Yeah. Bye-bye. All righty. Great. Thanks then. Bye.